today from 1 Corinthians 12 concerning spiritual gifts and it's verses 1 to 11. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one of them, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by this one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hey there, everyone. Thanks, Lisa. Uh, I hope you're doing okay. Another week of lockdown is under our belts. We really are becoming pros at this. I hope that uh, whatever routines you've set up for yourself, that they are uh, doing you uh, a lot of good and really helpful. Uh, Alison this week decided to bite the bullet and start cutting the kids' hair. And uh, so I guess the writing is on the wall for me. If I'm here next week with a shaved head, you'll know what went down. Uh, today, uh, we are continuing our deep dive into uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, I hope you've got it there with you. I hope you've got a Bible that you can look at, or if you don't have it on your Bible, you can probably find it on your computer somehow. Uh, 1 Corinthians is this letter written to one of the earliest churches, and it's a letter all about a whole stack of mistakes that they were making, ways they were absolutely botching their life as a church, botching their witness to Jesus. We get to read it, and we get to learn all these lessons about how we can not fall into the same sort of traps. It is gold. Now, we've been reading our way through it. Today we're up to chapter 12. We're on the home stretch to the end. And the topic today, and for the next couple of weeks, is thinking about making mistakes in how you understand spiritual stuff. Making mistakes in how you understand the significance of the Spirit of God and the gifts that God's Spirit gives you. Uh, it opens like this, if you've got it there in front of you. Verse 1, it says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. These early Christians living in Corinth, they were a bit confused about this whole topic of spiritual stuff. And to be honest, I reckon it's probably the same for us. When it comes to this area, we are a little bit confused, we are a little bit ignorant, we're a little bit off the mark in how we understand what God's Spirit does in us and for us and through us. I mean, have you ever felt like some churches are more spiritual than other churches? Or have you ever got that vibe that maybe you're a less spiritual Christian than some other Christians that you know? Have you ever found yourself wondering, what does God's Spirit actually do for me? You know, I get God the Father, I get God the Son, but God the Spirit, what, what's the go here? Have you ever pondered this whole area of the gifts of the Spirit? And what actually are they? And why did I get some gifts but not others? And why did that person get gifts but not me? 
these are the kind of questions that we ponder, and so it's going to be really good over the next couple of weeks to get to read our way through these chapters, because these are the kind of topics, these are the kind of questions, these are the kind of ponderings that this letter addresses. Uh, in my head, I've got this box where I put all sorts of stuff that I just don't understand. Like, you know, why do people watch Married at First Sight? Goes in that box. Uh, why did people decide that kale was food for humans? Goes in that box. And, and I think that for many people, myself included, sometimes the whole topic of the Spirit goes into that box. You know, I just don't get it, I don't quite understand it. Uh, this passage is, I hope, going to help us to take it out of that box and go, actually, the Spirit is something that we can understand. The Spirit is something we can rejoice in. The Spirit is something we can wrap our heads around. The Spirit is good news for us as Christians. This passage makes it really clear that the Spirit is not just for kind of A-class Christians, not just for Christians who go to certain churches. It's not a niche thing. It makes it really clear that all of us are spiritual Christians. If you're someone who trusts the Lord Jesus, you have no choice but to be a spiritual Christian. And the way this passage helps us to see that is it takes us on a, a little bit of a journey. It takes us on a bit of a journey through our life to help us see how critically significant the Holy Spirit has been to us and for us. So, drop your eyes down to verse 2. Verse 2 hits the rewind button. Verse 2 kind of says, yes, you're a Christian now, you're following Jesus now, but it wasn't always like that, was it? At one point in time, you were actually being led astray. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Now, this is a description of your life BC, your life before Christ. You were influenced, led astray to dumb idols or mute idols, idols that can't talk, they got no power, they got no persuasion, they're fake. And now, back in Paul's day, this whole talk of idols was very literal. The Corinthian Christians had once been pagans, they had once worshipped pagan gods. They'd been influenced to go off of a good path and instead been led somewhere dangerous. In Corinth, in any Roman city, there would be these processions that would kind of wind their way through the city, going past all the houses, and they would be calling people to come out of their houses, join the procession that was heading on its way to the temple to worship this idol or worship this god. And as the procession wound its way around the city, the, the followers would call out to the people, extolling the virtues of their God. This is what my idol offers. This is what you'll get if you come with us. There was all sorts of different idols to try and meet all sorts of people's different needs. And so people would get influenced. Come, follow, come with me. It'd be like Pied Piper style, you know. Come off and worship this idol. They were literally led astray. And as it, as it says, this wasn't meaningless. It wasn't innocent. They were being led somewhere bad, because idols aren't good. Idols are not doing you any favours. Idols are leading you into sin, leading you into selfishness. To follow an idol is to have your stability taken away from you. At that point, you suddenly have no firm ground on which to build your life, because you're never sure. Am I following the right idols? Am I following enough idols? Am, am I sufficiently devoted to the idols that I choose to follow? You know, are they going to be happy enough with me to, to the, for me to reap the benefits that they offer? Following idols was a nasty business. And that's exactly what it was like for the people in Corinth, for these Christians in Corinth, before they met Jesus. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's a picture of the lives that we lived before Jesus as well, isn't it? 
Or it's a picture of what life would be like if we chose at this point in time to turn our backs on Jesus and walk another path. People live like this. They spend their lives jumping from one shiny thing to the next. Always chasing that one thing that promises to make you finally happy or to fix your problems or to dull your pain. We we make idols out of things like having a fantastic career or having an amazing relationship or an idyllic family. The, The idol of the perfect body, the idol of having success that's the envy of others. People live like that. They live as though these things are the key to unlocking all the goodness that's on offer in this life. You may well have once lived like that yourself, kind of showing your devotion to these these things, these mute idols that promise heaps but really can't deliver. For a Christian person, those ways of thinking once had their grip on us. We were trapped by that. We were once influenced by that. But as this passage says, that's now all in the past for us. Idols are in the past for Christian people, or at least they should be. I suspect that a lot of us feel a little bit awkward at this point, because we know that the idols in our lives aren't quite so in the rearview mirror than they probably should be. You know, we we do like to flip-flop around, being influenced by Jesus, yes, but also being influenced by these things that we idolize in our lives. We, we like to dabble, we like to play the field. Yeah, we've got Jesus, He's nice, but these things that everyone else is chasing, gosh, they look very exciting as well, don't they? Yes, Jesus offers a lot, but He doesn't offer this thing that will make me happy right here, right now. And so we obsess over these things. We become convinced that we have to have them as well as Christ. We think that they're going to satisfy our longings. We, we all live like that a little bit, but... But we don't have to. There's every reason for us to resolve that we should be trying to work hard to get rid of these idols because they belong in our past, not in our present. That's what life was once like. That's what life would have been like if you'd never met Jesus. But we have. You and I have met Jesus. We've trusted Jesus. We've put our lives in His hands. For us, everything has changed for the better now that we've made that fundamental shift. No more idols. Jesus satisfying, secure. And for this, we have the Holy Spirit to thank. The Holy Spirit worked in your life to bring you to Jesus. See, in verse 3, verse three. therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And also, no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. At this point, we get our kind of key lesson about the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul said, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to know what really matters about the Spirit. I don't want you to be confused. What's his number one take-home message about the Holy Spirit? What's the one thing he wants you to have in your head the most out of anything? Simply this, that the Holy Spirit is active in the life of any and all Christians. That's it. That's the big takeaway, that Any Christian is also a spiritual Christian. If you're someone who says, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my boss, Jesus is my Saviour, that's the mark, that's the sign that shows that God's Spirit must be at work in you. Being a spiritual Christian is is not some kind of exclusive inner circle thing. 
It's not a kind of bonus level up for some Christians who are especially keen, especially on fire for God. Being changed by the Spirit, being used by the Spirit, being affected by the Spirit is not a thing for super elite Christians. I think sometimes you get that vibe a bit today. It's definitely the vibe you got back in Corinth. We discover this as we read through the coming chapters. This idea that, that some people in the church had these extra special spiritual gifts and they were clearly being elevated by God, but, but everyone else, they just had like boring gifts. They were just kind of like the unspiritual Christians. That's not what Paul wants us to think. That's not the truth. If you're a Christian person, a regular old bog-standard Christian person, then you're also a spiritual person. This isn't just for those who are extra holy or extra good or who raise their hands at church or who speak in tongues or whatever. No, anyone who says, Jesus is my Lord, must be a Spirit-filled person. And that's you, I assume, if you're someone who trusts Jesus. That's most of us watching today. You have the Spirit at work in your life. And what that means... What that means for us is that we can know that Jesus is using us to do things. God is now doing stuff through you. And this kind of realization can, it can transform your life a bit, I think, to know that not one of us is useless, to, to know that none of us are beyond it, to know that none of us has nothing to offer. We're going to see it in a really big way next week, so, you know, watch this space. But, but right now, look at what it says from verse 4. It says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit who distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Verse 7, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. This whole idea that every single Christian is a spiritual Christian, every single Christian has the Spirit of God at work in them, it's not just kind of like a sweet little impractical pie-in-the-sky kind of truth to know. No, this is supposed to mean something. It's supposed to actually be something you have in your head realizing, wow, this is changing me. Having the Spirit means that we get the privilege of getting to be involved in God's plans. As, as it says across these verses, you're going to get to use the gifts that are given to you by the Spirit. You're going to get to do the acts of service that have been lined up for you by the Lord Jesus. You're going to get to, to contribute your part to God's big work. Each one of us, each one of you, no one is missing out on this privilege. Now, Christians are not kind of sidelined, left to just watch from the stands while God does the work. No, God gets us up off the bench. God gets us involved. You get to make a difference. You get to contribute. You can know that your life is going to mean something. Your life can be deeply satisfying because it's contributing to the work of God that starts now and then lasts into eternity. And for all of this, we have the Holy Spirit to thank for it. The Holy Spirit is the one who is giving us these gifts, changing us, rewiring us, making us learn things and making us have attitudes. We never would have had these on our own. We've done nothing to deserve them. We haven't earned them. They've been given. 
Different gifts to different people, yes, we'll talk about that next week. But the key point here is nobody misses out. You have not missed out. You have gifts of the Spirit at work in your life. To each one, it says, the gift of the Spirit has been given for the common good. Every single one of us has a role to play in God's work. And, and this, this loops right back around again to our idols. Why it's so much better that we've left our idols behind. You know, wh- why, why do we find these things and these relationships and these statuses and these experiences, why do we find them so alluring? Why do we make idols out of the things in our life? Sometimes it's because we're hoping for a little instant hit of happiness. You know, if I do this thing, if I indulge in this thing, it'll give me what I'm craving. Sometimes that's the case. But sometimes we embrace these idols, make idols out of things in our life, not because we're craving an instant hit, but because we want big, lasting happiness. We, we want for there to be meaning to my existence. We hope that these things that we obsess over will make my life important. We hope that it'll mean that at the end of my 80-odd years wandering this earth, I'll have something to show for it. I will have meant something. I will have made my mark. Each of us wants that. You know, if only I could achieve an amazing family life, leave a legacy through my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids, if only that was the case, then I would matter. Or if only I could reach the pinnacle in my work or in my hobbies or in my sport. If only I could get to the top of the tree and have people kind of say, yes, well done, and have my name written down in the, in the record books. If only that were the case, then my life will have mattered. The expectation is that the kind of key to unlocking my significance and my value is achieving this thing, achieving this goal. And so we very quickly turn them into idols. And it ends up meaning that we are devastated when that idol doesn't come through with the goods. We either spend our lives chasing this dream only to perpetually fall short of the goal and we get to the end and go, what was the point? Or perhaps we are one of the, one of the few people who do get to the top of the tree, who do make it in this world, who do have others looking and going, wow, there's an impressive person. Maybe we do get to that point only to discover that it actually it's a letdown after all that it can't satisfy in the, in the way that we assumed it could. I love this quote from Jim Carrey. I bring it up all the time because it's just brilliant. Jim Carrey, this extremely successful man, said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. When you start trusting Jesus, then you're freed from this terrible trap of trying to fight for significance for your life. Because you don't get your importance from chasing an idol. No, you get given significance by the Holy Spirit. Christians have every reason to be some of the most satisfied people in this world, even if, on the face of it, our lives just look pretty darn boring and humdrum and and average. Because we know that the living God is actively working in us. 
We know that the living God is giving out gifts to us, thinking about us and going, this is what this person needs in order to serve me. This is what this person needs in order to contribute to what I'm doing in this world. We get given the gift of the Spirit, which is also at the same time the gift of lasting significance. And this significance, and this is a really critical point, this significance, this this deep satisfaction with our lives, it doesn't revolve around my choices. It, It doesn't depend on my raw talent or my charisma or my genetics. It doesn't depend on my circumstances or my wealth or my or my education. Making a name for yourself in this world usually revolves around all those things. But it's totally different for God's people. For God's people, each Christian has the Holy Spirit active in our lives. Each Christian has the Holy Spirit freeing us from terrible idols that we think will satisfy. Each Christian has the Holy Spirit in us, giving us gifts, changing us, equipping us. For each Christian, the Holy Spirit gives us a contribution to make. Jesus is absolutely the hero of the story. Don't, Don't get fooled about that. But that doesn't mean that you and I are nothing. Your life is one that will matter. Your story is one that will matter. You don't have to fight to be significant, fight to make a difference, fight to leave a legacy. Your your efforts and your work and your struggles and your successes, all of it, who you are will not simply fade away into the sands of time. Because God has chosen to involve you and I in His work. That is the Spirit of God at work in us. We'll get to think more about this next week, think about the specific gifts we're given uh, and how that works in a church life, what role you have to play in our church life, that's all for next week. For now, let's just rejoice in the fact that our significance is not something that we have to try and fight but it's something that is given. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You that the Spirit is not a special upgrade for Christians, not just for the chosen few, but that for all of us, You have chosen to put Your Spirit in us, chosen to work in us, chosen to change us, chosen to use us, every single one of us. We may look like nothing in the world's eyes, but to you, we are part of your plans. To you, we are people who bear your image, bear your likeness, and carry your spirit. Lord, please help us to turn from the idols that we once clung to. Help us to realize that they offer nothing in comparison. Help us to take great joy in the fact that we can have true, lasting significance, that our lives mean something because the Spirit ties us in with you and your plans. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.